How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 292 of x where uh, your humble host is still dealing with the uh, fallout of his recent uh, dietary debauchery here. Um, boy, it's been a uh, rough few days, and um, part of me hopes that I'm like learning a lesson here where maybe next year I won't go uh, quite as far off the rails um, with... What I put into my body Because, oh man Heartburn city It's been like acid reflux It's been the absolute worst And it's interesting If you've ever been on like a cutting diet um, There's a just an accepted wisdom out there Or maybe there's empirical proof behind it Or maybe it's just something we tell ourselves To justify our uh, behavior But there's something called like a refeed Or a refuel day Where if you're paying attention to um, your caloric intake, like if you're going for a caloric deficit in order to cut fat, uh, you do need something that they call a refeed or refuel day where you kind of overindulge just to kind of kick things into gear. And uh, boy, um, I thought I was doing that. And uh, turns out that I think I broke the system. I, I went a little, little bit too far and I'm Unfortunately, still paying for it right now um, Before we get into the book, I would like to thank everyone for their uh, birthday well wishes uh, yesterday It really, really means a lot to me um, I tell you, being like a hermit of sorts, um, I don't really run across people So um, to have folks out there who, uh, who would remember and would you know, shoot me a message it really, it really does mean a lot to me So thank you all so much And uh, with that, let's head into today's, I believe... I believe this is a penultimate issue. It's not the final issue. I'm pretty sure it's not the final issue because the ending is not terribly final at all, but I think it is a penultimate issue. And it is Sword, Volume 2, Number 10. Now, this had a January 2022 cover date, and the story is called Triple Threat. Written by Al Ewing with art by Jacopo Camigni, or Camagni. Colors by Fernando Cifuentes of Proto Bunker Studios. And I wonder if Proto Bunker is a reference to Krusty Bunkers. If anybody knows what the uh, Krusty Bunkers were. Uh, letters. VC's Ariana Marr designs Tom Muller, head of Exus Hickman. Edits Amaro Bisa White Sabolski, cover price four bucks. This one went on sale allegedly November the 10th of 2021. Now we open with several sort of kind of indulgent pages of WizKid uh, getting out of bed and you know proceeding to go on with his day. Uh, we're in his head. As in, he's the narrator. Uh, we're not getting actual thought balloons, though. Of course, perish that thought. That's way, way too comic booky. Anyway, he's coming across here as a well, sort of kind of cocky in his abilities, but at the same time, kind of blaming that on how people treat him in the first place. You know, as a kid in a wheelchair, that is. Now, he loads into his wheelchair, which 
oddly, or maybe not oddly, but uh, worth noting, is not the usual one that we see him in. Now, this one is much smaller, a bit more discreet than the big old hover chair that we usually see him in. Now, he says that the outer housing of that other one was meant to evoke the aesthetic of Professor X's old rig. He reminds us all that he has dyslexia, which is actually not a new addition to his story. That's something that's been with him ever since uh, we first met him back in uh, the late 80s. Oh, and it's worth noting, he does point out that, uh, you know, while his wheelchair, his hover chair, is uh, meant to be aesthetically like Professor X's, that Professor X is now walking and doesn't need a, uh, a wheelchair or a hover chair. Now, this takes his thoughts into the possibility of resurrection to be able to do the same himself. He thinks about the whispers he hears from folks about how he never lost his death cherry. And I, I always thought it was popped, the cherry. Maybe, maybe that's changed over the years. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too um, crude. I don't know. Anyway, WizKid wraps up this intro by agreeing that you know what, yeah, maybe I am something of a cocky prima donna, because I guess it's not bragging if you can back it up. And, uh, of course, you all remember that we learned that he's working for Gyric and Orcus last issue, right? That was our big cliffhanger, and how he's obviously not actually a super-secret triple agent working for S.W.O.R.D. by infiltrating Orcus, right? That's definitely not where we're headed, right? <clears throat> okay, let's get into it. Double-page spread of roll-calling cred. We got a lot of characters here. Of course, Wizkid, Brand, Old Man Cable, Storm, Gladiator, Cannonball, Frenzy, Xandra, Deathbird, Gyric, Mr. Eloquent, Halfbot, Orbis Stellaris, Orbis Extremis, Electric Head, and Death Grip. Back to comics, and we're over to Mars Araco. And here, Storm is joined by Frenzy, Cannonball, Gladiator, and the Neramanis, uh, you know, uh, Deathbird and Xandra, in order to fight back that lethal legion who, I completely forgot, showed up last issue. Anyway, the uh, Lethal Legion here is comprised of those last six names I mentioned during the roll call, also known as those characters we really don't care much about. Now, over the course of, like, two pages, the good guys win. And uh, that might seem like a cop-out, but I assure you, there is something to that, and it's going to make sense as we get through it. Xandra, who is quite the Storm fan, celebrates Aurora's latest victory. Then we got Frenzy, who attempts to call in to chat up Abigail Brand, and she finds that the uh, big boss has taken herself offline, which is odd, because she never, ever does that. Storm does not like the sound of that, and has to be patched through to Cable at Station 1. Info page. Now, this is a log of all of Abigail Brand's movements throughout the day, and it shows that around 20 minutes ago... Uh, I think they're minutes. They could be space seconds. I don't know. It's a, it's a time. <laughs> um, anyway, at uh, 0617, Brand was chatting up WizKid. Then at 061 pound sign, there was a static disruption, hopefully having nothing to do with the United States of Rock, if anybody gets that reference. Anyway, the system comes back online at 0619, but Brand's whereabouts are unknown, and, uh, well, they've been unknown ever since. Let's get back to comics, and we can meet up with Cable, who is now talking to Storm. Wizkid enters the scene and thinks about how Cable came to get this position of power in S.W.O.R.D. Basically that his status as the son of Cyclops makes him something of a you know, mutant royalty, and so this was a purely political move, which is something we've already been told. Wizkid thinks back to his first meeting with Kid Cable and how the kid seemed to be like, oddly hyper-focused on the fact that Takeshi was in his hover chair, which, I mean, is it really all that novel? 
I don't know, maybe this is one of those things that I'm not thinking hard enough about. Anyway, back to the present, where Cable, a very shiny, happy Cable, by the way, tells WizKid that he just heard back from Rocket Raccoon and how Takeshi's work during the last Annihilation thing on Breakworld literally saved the universe. But before all that, Cable asks WizKid about Abby's whereabouts. Takeshi says that there's a total comms blackout right now because they discovered that they're being monitored by the enemy, and that WizKid only stayed behind due to his mutant power making him something of a surveillance black spot. Now, Cable appears to take this at face value, which, as Takeshi puts it, is exactly what Cable would do. You know, kind of lull you into a false sense of security, pretty much giving you all the rope you need in order to hang yourself. And Cable also adds a little bit of a tinge of guilt there, telling Takeshi just how great he is and how much he trusts him. Perhaps an attempt to give uh, Takeshi, you know, the opportunity to have a second or third thought about his next move. Now, his next move, by the way, is uh, basically deep-frying Cable's prosthetic parts, KOing him for a bit. Specifically, he uses Cable's bionic eye as something of an internal taser in order to take him down. WizKid then wraps a DMX lyric into the computer to unlock it. Back to Mars Araco, where more lethal legionnaires show up. And, uh, well, they're still wildly uninteresting. And you see, maybe the characters themselves are wildly uninteresting, but we're about to find out that that's kind of the point. They're described here as a, quote, disposable army of the future, so basically unlimited living weapons. Now, this takes us to an info page where we can learn a little bit more. And uh, the page is ripped right out of the Lethal Legion catalog. Now, it's an ad from a company called Stellaris with the tagline, quote, We Make Friends. So, if you're looking to buy an army or a terrorist cell at an incredible discount, you now know who to call. Let's get back to the peak where Old Man Cable begins to stir. Um, now, he looks at one of the holographic monitors and discovers that a mass evac has been ordered. He then receives a call from the Vanisher, who is a member of S.W.O.R.D.'s teleport team, if you recall. Now, Telly informs Big Nate that his orders have been carried out. His orders to, you know, evac the joint. Now, this... Obviously, bamboozles Cable since he's been knocked the F out for the last little while and does not recall ever making such a call. Just then, the monitors go nutty, Cable realizes something's up, and Sword Station 1 goes boom. Now, I'm not sure if this means Cable's dead. Again, uh, it might, I don't know. Uh, From here, we shift scenes over to the Alpha Flight space station, where WizKid is being welcomed by Henry Peter Gyrick. He says, in no uncertain terms, that Takeshi just blew up S.W.O.R.D. for Orcus. Which, you know, is cool and all for him, but it does beg a certain question. He asks why WizKid would betray his own people. Now, the reply is that WizKid doesn't see humans and mutants as being all that different. Also, the fact that Xavier would welcome Apocalypse to Krakoa, referring to him as, quote, Mr. Survival of the Fittest, Well, that told him everything he needed to know about the mutant's grand experiment on Krakoa, and he tells Gyrick that, for all he cares, Krakoa can burn to the ground. And I wonder if he's enjoying Inferno. I don't know. Anyway, this is the answer Gyrick wanted, and, well, WizKid knew that was the answer that Gyrick wanted, which is why he gave it. And so, satisfied, uh, HPG leaves the room, which, kind of weird that he would just leave Takeshi alone, but he does. And, uh, well, you know how last issue we talked about how WizKid ticked off, like, maybe a few too many boxes to be turned evil? Well, yeah, let's let's get into that. Um, now, no sooner does uh, Gyrick leave than WizKid says, Triple Agent Unlocked. 
Now, this prompts a conversation to begin with Abigail Brand about how he's going to need to play along with Gyrick in order to, uh, you know, gain some trust and get some answers. Now, it would appear here at first blush that Takeshi and Abby are having like a psychic chat or some sort of a, you know, earpiece chat. That is, until the camera zooms in a bit and we can see that he's actually chatting with a miniature Abigail Brand who is armed with pim particles and a jetpack. And that's where we leave it. Next time out, we'll be talking about X-Force number 25, but for now, let's talk a little bit about WizKid. Um, it's uh, the old, old comics razor thing that we talk about a lot here. Uh, the most obvious conclusion is, uh, is where we get to. It really never was a, any kind of question that Takeshi was going to be revealed as uh, a triple agent and uh, ultimately a good guy. Uh, it, it just didn't seem like he'd be the character to flip legitimately and that doesn't make it a bad story it doesn't make it a story not worth telling um actually the reveal or the bait and switch doesn't really inform the story at all i mean it doesn't change the i guess the oomph of the story is what i'm trying to say it's still a perfectly fine story and i tell you i uh, definitely appreciated getting to know Wizkid a little bit better here i feel like um one of the main, um, I don't want to call it a complaint, but uh, one of the main observations that I've had about this sword series is that it has this wonderful and interesting and um, oft-neglected cast of characters. And uh, unfortunately, sword's just been sucked up into so many different crossovers and uh, events over the course of its lifetime that we really haven't been able to explore too many of these characters, right? I mean, we saw Vanisher there. I think we saw Gorgeous George, that uh, guy from the Nasty Boys. I mean, we don't get to see these characters too often. They're moderately interesting, but, I mean, there's definitely potential there to tell an interesting story or to add to the lore or just to, I don't know, maybe give a little bit of shine to characters who aren't the A-list. You know, I complain that Emma Frost shows up way too often in all these books. You know, she has a book that's kind of dedicated to her, but yet she'll still show up in, like, all the books to be our focus character. And I feel like that's a detriment to pretty much every book she appears in, because there's, uh, in order for her to be the focus, other characters need to go to the background. And with Sword, it's been a little bit different. It really hasn't been hyper-focusing on a character or two. It's been just the the characters have fallen into the background to serve whatever story or whatever caper that the sword book's been thrusted into. So here, we're actually getting, uh, like, a solid sword issue. It's kind of like the one we had with uh, with Manifold back during, I want to say, the lead-up to King in Black, where we got to, you know, hang out with him and see his role as the everywhere man. Here we get to get into Takeshi's head, and we get to learn a little bit more about him, and I thought that was really well done. Of course, it didn't do anything to to make me think he was turning bad, <laughs> you know. Uh, it was left moderately nebulous to the point where if he was revealed as being bad, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have contradicted anything that happened before it. But um, I don't know. I feel like we were building up a whole lot of empathy for this character uh, in the in the narration. So when that other shoe finally dropped at the end of the story here, it really well, I can't say it didn't come as a surprise because it was never going to come as a surprise, but uh, hopefully you understand what I'm getting at here. Um, let's talk a touch about uh, Cable. Now, um, we get from Takeshi's monologue that uh, Kid Cable and he had something of a friendship or a relationship, uh, a mutual admiration and respect, and uh, unfortunately this book, being the victim of all the crossovers, we didn't really get to see that all that often. 
which, you know, maybe we didn't need an entire issue or several scenes dedicated to it, but I tell you, that really took the oomph out of the, you know, supposed betrayal during this issue. It's like, well, they're close, but, you know, Takeshi's going to use that closeness in order to KO him and, uh, you know, order the evac and maybe even sacrifice Cable, ultimately. It didn't feel like this relationship was uh, necessarily earned. It felt kind of like a... Like the characterization equivalent of the Ben Percy special Where it's just like, we're just going to tell you all this stuff And uh, we just hope you believe it And we hope this works for you uh, One more thing I want to talk about here And this one might be, I don't know if it'll be dicey But uh, it's, uh, you know how they mentioned that uh, Wizkid never uh, lost his resurrection cherry, right? In order to come back, uh, quote-unquote, whole you know, he compares himself, or he doesn't really compare himself, but he, he makes a reference to the fact that uh, Xavier no longer uh, requires his hover chair. He's able to walk. And how, in theory, of course, uh, via the Crucible and Resurrection Protocols, Wizkid could, you know, technically come back. Uh, he could die, come back as someone who no longer needs his wheelchair. And I think by now you all know how I feel about just a senseless uh, death happening over and over and over again. The cheapening of death. We saw it with, uh, we saw it done very, very well in Way of X when Pixie kind of just, you know, let herself get blown away in order to uh, kind of just uh, fall in with peer pressure and die <laughs> like everyone else had. And I talked about how that cheapens it, but that was kind of the point in that situation. That was the lesson that we were learning, you know, that it is, it, it has been cheapened, you know, it has been cheapened. And the value that's been placed on life in and of itself just really isn't there anymore since everything's disposable, everything's replaceable. Um, it's just, uh, it's barely even a vacation if you die in the uh, in the current landscape. Now, I do appreciate that Takeshi sees that and that he's not really in any kind of rush to die. You know, unless he absolutely has to die, he's not just going to, you know, choose to die. He's not going to, you know, raise his hand and say, okay, me next. It's just not going to be the case here, which I like, and I appreciate that. But I feel like we get this hyper-focus on the fact that he is in this hover chair. And... You know, maybe this is a case of me not thinking hard enough, like I said earlier. Um, maybe this is just coming from a real position of ignorance. But, and, you know, I've said this before, in the, you know, fantastical Marvel universe, where, you know, technology and science is just ridiculous. It struck me as just a little bit odd that, um, like, we saw that scene with Cable, that flashback to Kid Cable, where, like, he could hardly even talk to WizKid because he was so distracted by the hover chair. That kind of just struck me as being odd and maybe a little bit forced. Though, you know, perhaps, you know, like I said, maybe I'm not thinking hard enough about this. Maybe since this was Takeshi's um, take on the event, that maybe he just saw Cable as being too focused on the hover chair. Uh, maybe it's, uh, I mean, the whole issue we've been getting that Takeshi's a fairly cocky guy. But perhaps at the core of it all, uh, what we were seeing here was a very, very subtle take on how he still has um, these insecurities. He still has a hyper-focus on these, you know, perceived flaws in himself that he thinks that's all anybody can see. And I tell you, if that is the case here, um, 
yeah, this was masterfully done <laughs> to the point where over the course of the last like three or four minutes, I kind of talked myself into completely buying into it. Of course, we still have questions like, uh, what would Takeshi choose to do? What is, what's in his mutant will, right? You got to assume that he has some sort of a mutant will. They seem to all have <laughs> some sort of a mutant will. So if he were to perish, uh, how would he come back? Will he choose the Xavier path or maybe the Karma path? And of course, we've got, you know, wheels within wheels as it pertains to things like representation. And uh, I don't know how much that would impact a decision that he would make. And I know that that's, I don't want to say it's a hot debate, but I remember it did get fairly heated when Karma came back uh, with her cybernetic leg. It was one of those situations where it's hard to divorce yourself from, you know, the mundane world and the fantastical Marvel universe, where basically anything's possible. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a, probably a discussion we could have uh, at another time here. I'd love to hear folks' input on how some of these characters choose to come back, uh, how they're altered, how some are not altered, uh, just uh, as it pertains to, you know, real-world stuff, things like representation. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. I think there could be a very interesting conversation there. But uh, I think that's about all I have to say about the issue. I, I very much enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to. Especially since uh, I kind of knew the ending. I think we all kind of knew the ending, but it was another home run. It was a really good look at a character who doesn't get a whole lot of play. So getting to know Wizkid a little bit better and being, you know, not contradicting anything that came before. You know, being reminded of his dyslexia, which has been a part of his character since the very start. And how the Krakoan meds actually help him with that. I, I think that's a, that's pretty cool. It's a nice nod to the past while making it relevant and, and actually tying it into uh, the current day. So I highly recommend this issue. Um, really, the only problem I have with it is the fact that it was so good that I look back on all the issues that were kind of co-opted by crossovers and events as missed opportunities. We could have had more stories like this. We could have had more deep dives on some semi-obscure characters rather than Tying in with all sorts of cosmic stuff. But I think that's where I'll put a pin in it for today. I'm on take number 87. We're, <laughs> we're 21 minutes in and I've had to stop and edit 87 times. Jeez. Oh boy, hopefully soon I'll be back to normal. But uh, until then, <laughs> I would like to thank you all so much for spending some of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.